0: We talked about a wide variety of things on the general topic of enterprise systems previously, and, and one of the things that I wanted to pick up with here is just kind of an overview of what this means for you in terms of things like job opportunities. One of the things that we, we observed previously was that the architecture of an ERP system is such that there's the client application, that runs on the end user's computer, the SAP GUI in our application. Then there's actually the application server itself, which is what people log into from the client software. And then the application server interacts with a database server and the database server actually stores all of the information makes it available to the application server and so the application server and the database server pass information back and forth and make information available to the client based on transactions they run and, and other things of, of that sort so the database that is at the heart of companies enterprise information infrastructure really can be any database system that is capable of supporting SQL which is pretty much going to be any uh, contemporary database system you might you, you might envision obviously one of the key facets here is it needs to be something that would be of enterprise class although you could run uh, an ERP system for example on top of MySQL MySQL probably is not industrial enough a product to actually support the volume of transactions you're going to throw at it. So companies will typically license Oracle database systems or IBM DB2 systems or Microsoft SQL systems or other things of that sort to use to support the underlying data storage of all of the information that's in their ERP system. Now this is a non-trivial Database installation. A basic SAP ERP installation, a a basic one, has over 28,000 tables in the underlying data model. So one of the things that we see here is there is a need for people that have database skill to help a company manage their ERP infrastructure. And so a lot of people that say, well, I wanna go to work for a company as a database administrator, these are the kinds of systems that they're put in charge of administering because there's an awful lot of very key company information that is housed within these systems and so managing that infrastructure is a whole set of really good jobs that are out there that companies hire for. Another very important class of jobs and tasks that companies have to perform is is getting the system to actually run the way they want it to run in their organization. Perhaps some of you in the last few weeks here have installed Windows 10 on a computer system or upgraded a system to Windows 10 that had something else on it previously. And if you did that, you know that for the most part, um, what you do is click a button or two that says, yes, I want to install Windows 10. And then you sit there for a while and just watch the computer do work. And maybe you have to type in a few things here or there click a button to make various decisions but at the end of an hour let's say you have Windows 10 installed on the machine and you had to make maybe six or ten different button clicks in order to make that happen. That is not the way this plays out when we are talking about setting up an enterprise information system. When you first of all, it, it used to be that when you were installing these systems SAP would mail you a box of DVDs with the software on it and I have one of the boxes in my office from what we were sent previously and it's about the size of I'd say four shoeboxes and when you open it up I didn't count but I think there are 60 plus DVDs in there okay and you'd and, and it's not a matter of just sitting there and sequentially feeding in those 60 DVDs you have to make decisions about how the system is supposed to run what we're talking about here is called configuration and it is a very very non-trivial thing because what we have to do is we have to take a system that has been set up to allow a wide variety of different companies to use this software and we have to set it up to make it work for us. You know, we observed previously that Eastman Chemical runs SAP ERP, Oak Ridge National Laboratories runs SAP ERP, and the University of Tennessee runs it as well. Those are three very, very different businesses. They're running the same software, but the system has been configured very, very different and so that's a key element of this so when we talk about configuration we're talking about taking this standardized software and adjusting it to fit the way we want our business to run the way we want our business processes to be executed now when I say that this is non-trivial there are over 8,000 configuration decisions now if you think about that, that means how many possible different ways are there to configure a system? And I believe that mathematically that would mean that the answer to that question is 8,000 factorial, which basically means if every company on the planet ran SAP, which clearly isn't the case, but if let's just imagine it did. If every company on the planet ran SAP ERP, the likelihood of any two of those companies running it exactly the same is very, very small. So what you have to do is in your organization, you have to have people that are knowledgeable of the system and knowledgeable about the various configuration alternatives to be able to come in and set the system up to run the way that you want it to do. Now the good thing about that is, is that's a really really great job. Companies will employ people who primarily focus on configuration. They have a lot of work when the system is newly established, but then it's also an ongoing job as companies do things like buy new plants and have to bring them into the system and change the way a certain business process is executed and adjust different things within the system. Configuration management is, is something that uh, requires a, a significant amount of, of expertise. Configuration management is something that that we teach here at ETSU and of course CSCI 4757, which is information systems implementation. It's one of the three undergraduate courses that counts for the SAP certificate. This course, uh, the 4757 course, is offered every other fall. So, if you are interested in learning more about configuration um, you could sign up to take that course uh, basically a a year from now well beyond that uh, these systems are very large-scale distributed application that needs system level administration and control there's a large organization in this area that I, I won't name for privacy reasons that just to keep their SAP infrastructure running employs over 100 full-time IT professionals. So we're not talking about something that a company has two or three people that do this. Even at, and I'll name this, the University of Tennessee, they've hired a lot of our graduates recently. Uh, they have a few dozen people that keep their system maintained and running within their organization. There's a lot of things like performance tuning and things related to network and equipment management, redundancy and backup. You know, The key thing of these systems is they can't go down. If they go down, basically companies can't operate anymore. So we have to make sure that these systems are essentially bulletproof we have to do the kinds of things that we often have to do in general in IT which is install patches, install updates to the applications and so really companies don't have just one system they run they have the production system and then they have systems that they use for testing and systems that they use for development to make sure that before they make changes in the real-world production system they, they fully vet those changes and make sure they're not going to disrupt the system it really is an entire uh, complex structure that requires a significant focus of an IT department all of this is great for you because all of this translates to really really good jobs You'll see job titles out there like SAP Basis Administration or Net Weaver Administration which tend to be very very top paying jobs that are very interesting jobs with good responsibilities for large companies that have made this investment in their infrastructure. And I think I have shared this previously We talked about the fact that small businesses could buy SAP's product and install that and use for their little five, ten-person business. But for a large company, the investment in SAP ERP runs in the tens of millions of dollars. And so you don't want to invest that much money in an enterprise information system and have a bunch of bozos running it. So companies will make great effort to have good professionals that are in support roles to keep the system properly functioning. Now, the part of this that's really, really great for you guys, well, there are several good parts to this. Number one is as I have talked with IT leaders at a lot of companies in this region, they have shared with me that one of their biggest concerns is the fact that as they look across their IT staff there are a lot of people that are getting close to retirement age or in some cases are past retirement age and the company has begged them to continue working there was some really interesting things that happened here in the last decade where the stock market turned down and the economy kind of tanked a little bit. And so there were a lot of people that were hoping to retire that decided, well, I can't retire right yet. And then the economy has started to rebound or has rebounded depending upon your, your evaluation of the economy. And so as a result, a lot of people now are saying, yes, I'm going to retire and so companies are finding that they have to replace a lot of really key people. So a lot of good job openings are are coming available. The other thing that really works in your favor is something that we've talked about before. In the domain of SAP, there are no other universities in in this immediate region that teach anything about that software at all, and so What companies often face is they bring in people to interview and ask them about SAP, and people have no idea what they're even talking about, much less have they ever done anything with it. So when a job candidate walks in and says, you know, yes, I've worked with SAP ERP, yes, I've worked with tools like Tableau, It really gives you an advantage over a lot of the other applicants out there. Now, what these companies are going to do is they're going to hire you and realize that if we draw this by way of, let's see, uh, say a bar chart, this is what you need to know to do your job well. The people that are retiring have this much knowledge because they've been at it for a while. By virtue of your having taken one or more classes at ETSU, depending upon how many you've taken, and let's say you've taken the full uh, set that gets you the SAP certificate, you know maybe that much. But the good news is the other people from other universities that are interviewing know that much. So companies like the fact that they can hire someone like our ETSU graduates, and then what they do is they say, okay, you already know this much right here, so we'll send you to classes to make up the difference here. And so they'll send you off to training or bring training uh, people into the organization to teach classes, to bring people up to speed. They'll put you working with a professional before they retire so that you can learn the ropes from that individual. And, And so that's what a lot of companies have done with our recent graduates. And the other great thing is we've had a lot of recent graduates start working at an organization and within a couple years, they're in a leadership position. Precisely for the reason that we've talked about here, a lot of more senior people are retiring and companies have to bring new people up in the organization. The risk that companies face in hiring somebody that's in this group right here is they might hire them and send them off to SAP-related training, which is not trivial at all as far as the cost goes, and find out that after six months they decide they don't like the job and they quit. Well, for someone that's in the position that you're in, because you've seen the systems and you kind of know how they work and, and you have some experience with it, you already know, you know. Maybe you've come to the conclusion, man, I hate this stuff. When this class is over, I never want to touch it ever again. That's fine. You know that. And there may be some of you that would say, you know, this isn't too bad. I could see doing this, particularly if there's good money and good jobs in it. So they have less risk associated with hiring you because you've already come to a conclusion about that. Whereas somebody in this position right here, they're more likely to you know, hit the road after a few months because they decide they really don't like it. So what we have seen is this really has given our graduates uh, an advantage. The other thing that's a part of this is is we talked a moment ago about configuration which is setting up a system to actually run a company's business processes the way they want it to be run and I'll say more about that in the next section that we're going to talk about Um, and we said that was taught in, in CSCI 4757. The other skill that is greatly valued is development. Now, development is kind of a fancy word for for programming. When you run SAP ERP and you double-click on a transaction in the menuing system and a screen pops up and allows you to interact with the system by way of a transaction, that transaction is just a computer program. When a company buys SAP ERP I think that the number that I recall seeing was there are over hundred and twenty-five thousand transactions in the system by default but many times companies want their own transactions that allow them to do things slightly differently and they can do that but that's going to require them to program those transactions for themselves So that's what we talk about when we say development. Now, development in SAP ERP is done using a programming language called ABAP. Now, there are very few universities in the United States that teach with SAP, but the ones that do teach with SAP tend to use the resource that we use in this class, which is ERP-SIM. About 80% of the universities that teach with SAP teach the fundamental business processes. A much smaller number teach configuration, and a much, much, much smaller number teach development in the ABAP programming language. And, And when I say much smaller, I feel very confident in telling you that fewer than 20 universities in the entire United States teach this language right here. Now, the interesting thing about it is it's kind of a fun programming language. And I'm not just telling you that because of my personal perspective. Students that have taken this class report that, you know they find it to actually be the most enjoyable language that they they saw in their college experience because it is a it's a fourth generation programming language it's a 4GL and in none of the other courses that you take here at ETSU will you have seen a fourth generation programming language the closest you will have seen to that is just doing uh, SQL programming and so there is a lot of SQL that you do in ABOP development, but you're developing front ends for applications, you're coding up logic, and ABOP is a very good skill for people to have. In this region, we're the only university teaching ABOP. ABOP development jobs pay really, really, really well. The University of Tennessee basically hires everybody that we can turn out that wants to work for the University of Tennessee and has skill with this. Now, I'll tell you up front, University of Tennessee is not our top paying um, employer of graduates, but it's a pretty great work environment and you get other benefits as well, like if you go to work for them and you wanna go to grad school, you can do that for free as part of your educational benefits. So there are a lot of employers in this area that like to hire our students uh, because of their skills in ABAP programming. The course that this is covered in is CSCI 4767, which is Enterprise Programming. And that's taught every spring semester. So in fact, this is a course that if you are interested in, you could take next semester. The only prerequisite to that course is this course and CSCI 2910. So if you have both of those courses, um, you could take that course. And if you don't get it next semester, uh, you could get it the year after that or the year after that. This course plus these two other courses are the ones that typically compose earning the SAP certificate for most of our undergraduate students. Any questions about any of the things that, that we've been talking about here? Yes, sir. I'm sorry, 2910 is server-side programming. Now I will say that, and and this sometimes comes up, like if someone's a computer science major and they want to take the course, um, I I think that we also will allow them if they've taken data structures to to take it. The basic idea is you have to have a database course and kind of something beyond Java um, to prepare you for that. Other questions? As we as we leave this discussion then uh, I want to make sure we understand one last thing which is we have been talking about ERP systems particularly in this discussion. Now what is an erp system if we had to give a definition of an erp system i've given you ones and slides previously and and i'll forewarn you that in your final exam i'm probably going to ask you a question like give a one sentence definition of an erp system an erp system is a system that a company buys to help it run its business processes in an end-to-end integrated fashion ERP systems are all about business process enablement well there are other kinds of enterprise applications out there that companies will run and I put this little slide down or this little image down here on the bottom right of the screen because one of the things you will very quickly learn if you uh, take a career in professional IT whether it be SAP related or not one of the really Fun things about our profession is we seem to love acronyms. And sometimes you can have an extended discussion with someone, and in a matter of two or three minutes, they use a dozen acronyms. And you have to sit there in your head and like decode those acronyms to make sure you know what they're talking about. Well, there are a lot of enterprise applications that companies could run. Companies could run BI systems. What is BI? BI stands for Business Intelligence. And we've done a little bit with Business Intelligence this semester. That's been the work that we have done with Tableau, and then we did a little bit with Access, or excuse me, with, well, with Access and Excel prior to that. Business Intelligence is focused on this idea of, let's take business data, and let's take some related software that will help us analyze that data and let's figure out how to use this to help improve our decision-making. This is an area of significant emphasis in contemporary organizations. Very closely related to business intelligence is another term that you will see applied here is, is business analytics. And Really, the distinction here is that companies have been practicing business intelligence now for a couple of decades, whereas business analytics is a more contemporary term, and it usually is used to describe companies that have kind of taken their effort to the next level. People that work in business analytics need not only good computing skills, but they need really good math skills, in particular, statistical skills. One of the things that I would encourage you to think about, if you have free electives that you can take as a part of your university program of study, think about taking more math courses. Now the unfortunate thing is a lot of our computing students seem to be math phobic for whatever reason and they like take the minimum number of math courses and then that's it. As a matter of fact, one reason why we don't have more computer science students and we have a whole bunch of IT students is because IT takes the least math of any of the three programs. Uh, The CS program requires up to I believe Calculus two. I think the IS program requires Calculus 1 and the IT program requires like business stats and some things like that. Um, Here's the thing, employers love to see math skills and employers love to take people that know computing, know a little bit about business and know a good bit about statistics and put them in these analytics positions there's a job out there now that a lot of people kind of joke about the term associated with this but what's no joke is the responsibilities they carry in organizations and the money they make you'll see a fairly new job title now which is data scientist and a data scientist is someone who works in business intelligence for an organization but has really, really strong mathematics skills and so has skill at going into a company's computing infrastructure, pulling information out of database tables and other things of that sort, bringing information together and using it to build a statistical model. And and think about this in terms of what you've done with ERP-SIM. If you could feed it all of the information about your company's performance and about the market and have it tell you how many boxes of which different flavors of muesli is going to be demanded by the marketplace and help you predict price points for raw materials and prices set by your competitors, you could make better decisions and, and steal market share and steal sales away from other organizations out there. One of the things that you're going to watch a video about related to ERP-SIM for next week is the idea of manual um, product purchasing. And one of the things that you have not really focused on much to this point is the fact that the prices of raw materials fluctuate quite, quite significantly. And I'm going to use a hypothetical example here. But strawberries are among the most volatile of the products that you buy as a company and 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 this is the part that I'm, I'm going to have to um, fictitionalize a little bit so the idea is right although the numbers might be a little wrong but strawberries will fluctuate from really low prices like a dollar ten per kilogram up to over three dollars per kilogram well If you see that strawberry prices are really low, you might want to go out and buy a whole bunch of strawberries. Because if you buy strawberries at $1.10 a kilogram and your competitor buys it when they're $3 a kilogram, all of a sudden now you can price your products much lower and still make a lot more money. Well, what companies will do in this domain of of the role of business intelligence and a data scientist is they employ people to study market conditions, to study the things you learned about in your economics class. And they say, you know, we're UPS. We have a whole fleet of trucks that currently run on gasoline. If we can buy gas at 10 cents a gallon less than FedEx, we go through a whole bunch of gas. So if we could save 10 cents on every gallon, think about all the trucks that we operate across not only the United States but across the globe, how much more money could we make than if we buy gas when the price is really, really high? And so companies will employ people who pretty much their full-time job is to study things like that and to help the company make good decisions to improve their profitability. There's a graduate of our department who works for a company in this area who did a project like that for his company recently and as a result was able to in one year save his company several million dollars. He's very well liked in his company right now Um, and he did that after being in that position less than six months. You know, how would you like to add that to your resume you know, when you go job hunting? Oh yeah, by the way, the last company I worked at the first year I was there, I saved them five and a half million dollars. You think you might be able to get a job with that kind of legitimate fact on your resume? You know, companies pay really, I mean, think about it. If, If you could really make that pledge, A company might be willing to pay you a million dollars a year to work for them. Now, I'm not suggesting this particular graduate makes that kind of money, but he's not hurting either. He's advanced quite well as a result of the work that he's been able to do in this domain. So one piece of advice, apart from just letting you know about business intelligence and business analytics, get over your math phobia. Take more math classes, and I guarantee you that's a really good way to distinguish yourself from other graduates of the department. And keep in mind, one of the things that I told you at the beginning of the semester that would be good to reiterate here, whether you've thought about this or not, if you look around this classroom, the people that are sitting next to you are the people you're going to be competing with when a company comes to campus and says, oh yeah, we have two openings and there are 10 people that have applied. Well, the nine other people that have applied might be nine other people sitting in this room, and what can you tell that employer that would be different than what they could tell that employer? If you can say, oh yeah, I have a degree in IT, I earned the SAP certificate, and I also took uh, these couple additional math classes because I'm really interested in business intelligence. It's gonna set you apart. Start thinking competitively about your about your future because it's going to pay dividends quite literally and, and salary that you can command in the future. So business intelligence, huge area that companies are investing in now. Really, really great jobs. We've had a lot of recent graduates that have gone into this field working with SAP resources in business intelligence. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you one last story and then we'll move on we started teaching with tableau a few years ago and before i actually started teaching with it i had a student come to me tableau is really expensive for companies to buy and it used to be that universities didn't teach with tableau because it was really expensive for universities too and when i say expensive i'm talking in in the neighborhood of over a thousand dollars per copy expensive So it was way too expensive for universities. Tableau changed their licensing and said, we'll make it available for free to universities. And we found out about that, and a student came to me and said, I'd like to learn more about Tableau, I'm really interested in business intelligence. And so she did an independent study with me where she learned about Tableau, and she did a lot of very different things, and she um, did a presentation, she actually did this for her undergraduate honors thesis. And turns out she was invited to interview for a company And the company wanted her to do a presentation as a part of her interview. And so she did her undergraduate honors presentation on Tableau and how it could be used in a company. And at that point, the company was just right in the process of thinking about whether or not they wanted to buy Tableau and whether they wanted to license it. And they were so impressed with her presentation that they hired her and put her on the team that was the first group of people in the organization to actually work with Tableau. So we have a lot of graduates that are doing work in this area of business intelligence and business analytics. Another whole class of enterprise software that's out there It's called CRM software. CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management. Well here's the very obvious observation I would have for you. Companies need customers. They need a lot of customers. And the customers that they have, they want to take care of and make sure they don't go and start buying from another company. So most organizations will employ salespeople to support their interaction with their customers. Salespeople want to know everything they possibly can about their customers and they want to manage that relationship. CRM software is designed to equip salespeople and other people in our organization that interact with customers with information that they need to help support that customer effectively. So it's a system that gives us historical information about everything the customer has bought from us, maybe information like every time they've called us and inquired about products, every time we've sent someone out to visit them and what we've talked with them about and what things they're interested in and not interested in. You know, a lot of CRM is almost like a a journal of our company's interaction with our customers, but there's also functionality here that allows us to better meet the needs of our customers, like being able to set up a website that customers can visit to find out information about our products and maybe even place orders with us. Those kinds of things are a part of customer relationship management. Supply chain analytics, whole nother class of enterprise system, uh, SCA supply chain analytics is is business intelligence so it's the same idea of we're analyzing data to make better decisions but we're particularly looking at this related to resource acquisition and and distribution so the example i gave you a moment ago about studying the prices of products and deciding exactly when is the best time to buy that product that would be something that would be done in supply chain analytics and there are a lot of great jobs out there in that area And the point of this is there are software systems just like there are ERP systems that companies can buy, there are BI systems that companies can buy, and CRM systems, and SCA systems, and the new one to add, supply chain execution, SCE. This is about automating the execution, really, and improving the execution of our manufacturing process. You know this in ERP-SIM about how challenging it is to maximize the running of your manufacturing facility. Well, here's the thing. ERP-SIM is obviously a very, very simple business environment. I've had students tell me before, you know, it would be great if like later in the game when we had more money, if we could like open a second plant or open a second manufacturing line. And I agree that would be kind of cool the game doesn't support it. But you can imagine for a real company, they might have five or six different plants. And unlike your plant, which seems to just have one manufacturing assembly line in that whole plant, you might have a plant that has 15 or 20 different assembly lines. And so as a company, you have to make decisions about what you're going to make and how much you're going to make and where you're going to make it. You know, imagine this. Imagine if in ERP-SIM you had a factory and in your plant instead of having one assembly line you had two assembly lines. And imagine if by default each of those two assembly lines were able to make 20,000 units of product a day. And you know how now you can invest in production improvement? Well now let's assume that you could do the same thing here but here's the question. Would it make sense to invest in one of those two lines to make it like a super line so that you have one line that maybe makes 40,000 units a day and the other one still sits at 20, or would you be better off making two lines of 25,000 each? Think about all the different ways that you could spend your money to try and improve your operation and trying to decide, okay, if we have $500,000, where's the best way for us to spend that? As it is right now, you only have one assembly line and you only have the option of investing in capacity improvement or reducing, reducing setup time between production runs. Well, in a real manufacturing facility, you might have 30 different places that you could invest your money and trying to decide which one makes the most sense and how we're going to manage this, That's what we look at here in supply chain execution as companies try to build simulations and models to help them figure out how to get the most out of their manufacturing facility. I can tell you with the ERP-SIM competition, year over year, the thing that has tended to be representative of the teams that, that are at the top are the teams that do the best job in managing manufacturing. And by that, I don't just mean they keep their factory busy. I mean that they keep their factory busy making the right stuff, which is the other part of this that gets really hard because we might have a lot of products being made, but if it's not what customers want, we're, we're kind of at a loss there. Supply chain execution software helps companies with that. Supply chain manufacturing. You know, a lot of these systems are similar to one another. SCM system looks at this from the perspective of, okay, here at one end, we have where our raw materials originated. And then they get to us, and we run them through our factory. And then they go out to maybe retail stores or other places um, and, and they get sold to end customers. Everything in my diagram here from point A to point C makes up our supply chain. And so we can look at not just what happens inside of our factory, but everything that happens in this entire process from point A to point B, or point A to point C, and try and figure out ways to make this more efficiently. I don't know how many of you have been to the part of Florida where there are the orange groves. And uh, you also see this in California, but probably fewer of you would have been to California to see this. But if you ever drive by an orange grove, it's not unusual to see a big sign on the orange grove that says this grove is owned and operated by uh, the Dole Company or the Tropicana Company. And that's because what happens is these companies that make orange juice and orange-related products, they go out, they find a grove that is well-run, and they buy it. And they operate it because they say to themselves, that's a way for us to get oranges at really, really good prices. Because we're not buying them from the farmer, we are the farmer in those situations and so supply chain manufacturing is all about looking at everything here from getting materials to the final distribution and trying to make one system that is as efficient as we possibly can make it. A, a company that really does this quite well that some of you may have heard of is, is Walmart. You know, when you sell to Walmart, you become a partner with Walmart. And it basically is almost like becoming a part of the Walmart corporation because they're going to get all up in your business. And they're going to know everything that happens in your organization if you want to sell to them. And that's part of their efforts in supply chain manufacturing. Some companies will also call this supply chain planning, SCP Same idea, uh, just a slightly different acronym here. And the last one that will actually, no, it's not the last one, last one on this slide, Um, APS, Advanced Planning and Scheduling. This is business intelligence focused on strategic forecasting of demand. So a lot of the things that we've been talking about seem like they overlap, and and they kind of do. We're talking about software systems that have functionality, and some of the functionality uh, uh, overlaps between different areas. But APS, Advanced Planning and Scheduling, is all about trying to forecast customer demand and figure out effective inventory management. We are here at the end of October. If we were to interview people that worked for Toys R Us and were in charge of purchasing for Toys R Us, we would have discovered that they had already placed their order for Christmas toys with toy manufacturers you know, back in February and March. Because if they wait until October to place their toy delivery, if they call up Mattel and they say, we think that this particular Barbie doll is going to be really, really uh, popular this Christmas, we would like 10 million units. Mattel can't make 10 million units in a matter of just a few weeks. So Toys R Us has to start working with toy manufacturers pretty much... When Christmas is over and people are taking down their Christmas tree, Toys R Us is already planning for the next year and starting to talk with manufacturers and starting to basically try and figure out what toys are going to be popular and placing their orders. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about advanced planning and scheduling, using this in a strategic way to try and forecast demand for products and engage in effective inventory management because... Once the deadline passes, you know, once people go Christmas shopping, if Toys R Us doesn't have the toys available when people go shopping, they're going to go elsewhere and buy the toys. And so Toys R Us does not want that to happen. Strategic Enterprise Management, SEM. This is another branch of business intelligence. You know, notice how many things that we've talked about here that are all focused on business intelligence and making good decisions in a company. Strategic Enterprise Management is focused on strategic execution, which is the idea of helping our top executives run our company as best they possibly can. Translating company goals into operational decisions. IBM recently came out with a uh, some photographs and a white paper related to what they called their boardroom of the future and it looked really cool. It really looked like something more that you would see on Star Trek than you would see in a typical business because it showed this room that was probably roughly the size of this room but more rectangular and it showed a big nice table in the middle with nice chairs around it because executives you know they want a nice place to sit and all of the walls of the of the room would be like you know the equivalent of the holodeck on Star Trek but not three-dimensional Everything was computer screens and projected images. And all around the room were all of these visualization, these different gauges and displays of how the company was doing in every facet of the operation. And the idea was that executives could come to that room and every day have a meeting, and the CEO and all the other top people in the organization could basically just kind of look around the room and go panel by panel by panel looking for things that look like the results weren't what they expected. And maybe over here in this area, a manufacturing line has gone down and so there's some gas gauges or displays there that show that production's at zero and there's some red lights blinking as a result. And so the executives can look at that, talk about its impact on operations and talk about what they wanna do to address it. And then this boardroom of the future, basically all of the key facts of how the company is doing is reduced to a visualization, a dashboard display that's shown on the walls of this room. Really, really expensive to set up those kinds of facilities, but what companies are building now. And the idea is that we can bring information to executives where they don't even have to ask for it. The information's just pushed to them. You know, imagine if your job where you were the sales manager, the vice president for sales for a company, and one wall in your office was nothing but an ongoing display of how all of the people that work for you were doing in regards to sales. You know, could you use that to figure out, you know, oh, I should pick up the call and phone and call Sue because it looks like she just made a really good sale and it looks like Bob's having a rough week here. He hasn't made a lot of sales. He's really below quota. Um, You know, maybe we should try and do some things to help him out. So the idea of putting information in front of people so that they can make good decisions and help us achieve our company goals without making all of the people that are less technical people in our organizations have to interact with computers, we just push the information out to them so that they can use it to make decisions. Then we get into nuts and bolts kinds of systems. TMS systems, transportation management systems. And by the way, this is something that really is not a specialty of SAP if a company did this they would probably need to contract with another organization to buy a transportation management system this is about shipping and routing of outbound goods I don't know if any of you have been in a computer class before where you've talked about some of the really challenging problems in computer science One of them is called the classical traveling salesperson problem. And the way it goes is something like this. There's a salesperson that has 20 different customers that are located all around, you know, a geographical area. And in a given day, he needs to visit every one of those 20 customers. And he wants to do it in the most efficient way possible. What route should he or she take to visit those 20 customers to minimize travel time? Well, here's something you learn very, very quickly. That problem becomes fairly unsolvable for actually pretty small numbers because it's very, very hard to figure out the most efficient route. Well, here's the thing. That's a hypothetical question you might see like in an algorithms class here at the university. You go out in the real world and you have UPS that has their real world version of the traveling salesman problem, which is we have a fleet of 200 trucks in the Eastern Tennessee region. Today, we have to deliver 15,000 packages. What packages go on which trucks and what route do those trucks take to deliver those packages more efficiently? And imagine, If you could invent software and an algorithm that would help UPS globally be 1% better at shipping and routing their goods, Do you know how much money we'd be talking about saving with gas not being burned and tires not being consumed and employees not driving more out of their way than they need to? Maybe you've read some of the things that that UPS does to try and assist with transportation management and safety like they try to avoid making left turns. So they try and figure out ways to route their drivers around their route without the driver having to make left-hand turns. So when you feed in all of these things that we'd like to do, and we try and make this very efficient, we need computer software to help us with this because it's beyond the human brain to do this, particularly when you're looking at a very real situation, which is a company that might literally have hundreds of trucks that they are sending out every day. There's a, a food service provider that you perhaps have seen their semis here on campus called Cisco. Cisco sells to restaurants and other food service organizations, grocery stores and so on in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida. They service the whole basically southeast of the United States. And every day they're running they're running semis to those facilities. They literally have hundreds of trucks visiting thousands of customers every day, and they've gotta figure out how to route those trucks. That's what a transportation management system does for a company, and companies will buy these and use these. Now, by the way, if you're asking me who in the Johnson City area runs this, I don't know that anybody does, because I don't know of any company in this area right now that has a fleet of trucks and does what we're talking about other than like FedEx and UPS. But if you go to other parts of, you don't have to go that far away, you can go to Atlanta and find a whole bunch of companies that this is a key focal element uh, of their business as transportation management. Kind of along similar lines, warehouse management. We have a warehouse that has different kinds of storage in it. We have some things that have to be refrigerated, some things that have to be frozen, some things that have to be kept at normal temperatures, some things maybe that have to be stored in special environments, because if we're not careful with them, they might explode. Uh, All of these things are very important to us and keeping track of the things that we have purchased or the things that we have made. One of the very unrealistic things about ERP-SIM is that your raw materials and your finished goods never spoil. You know, you apparently operate your factory in a place where nothing goes stale, there's no bugs, and there's no screw-up employees. Because when you order something, you get exactly what you ordered, and when you tell your factory to make 25,000 boxes, you get exactly 25,000 boxes. Well, in the real world, strawberries get put in the warehouse, and then two weeks later when you get ready to use them, the strawberries are moldy and you have to throw them away because they weren't stored properly. Or somebody accidentally put the oats next to I don't know a a pallet of of chemical floor cleaner and so now our oats taste like mop water and that's probably not going to make for really good cereal so we have to throw that away. Managing a warehouse is actually a really critical uh, component for a lot of organizations. Want to know a company that's really really interested in efficient running of warehouses? Amazon. They run distribution centers all over the country and they have invented a lot of software and a lot of related hardware to help them run their warehouse as efficiently as they possibly can. Later this semester I'll show you some videos about how they run their warehouse. In this class you get the opportunity to work hands-on with Microsoft Office products, Excel and Access, and of course Word. Um, You get the opportunity to work with SAP ERP. You get the opportunity to work with Tableau. There are a wide array of other companies out there that make software to do all the things we just talked about. In your database courses, you use software from Oracle, Um, and so Oracle owns a lot of other companies that make products like what we've been talking about. PeopleSoft was a company that Oracle bought a number of years ago that makes uh, human resources software to help companies manage payroll and and hire employees and manage benefits and things of that sort. Microsoft, a number of years ago, jumped into the uh, ERP market. They bought a product called Great Plains which originally was just something that they used to showcase their database systems, and then they realized that they could actually roll it out as a full-fledged accounting system, and so they renamed it Microsoft Dynamics. And it's an ERP system that a lot of companies run. It tends to skew more towards smaller organizations, Um, and a lot of people thought that when Microsoft came out with Dynamics that it was going to flop it hasn't taken off the way that SAP ERP and Oracle applications have but it's a very very solid product and in fact there are a couple of companies in this area that sell dynamics to small businesses and they've hired some of our graduates to go in and basically go to a small business find out how the small business wants to operate configure dynamics to run that company's business processes, installed it on their computers and then gone in and trained the employees. So there's really good jobs there in that space and your SAP related skill that you have is transferable because it's it's the screens look different but the concepts are exactly the same. And then there's a lot of niche and, and legacy software. Um, The Sage Group makes a company called ACPAC ERP. Maybe some of you have heard of Peachtree Accounting before. Um, You'd be more likely to have heard of it if you were accounting students, but Peachtree is a fairly popular software product for small businesses to do their accounting. The Sage Group makes that. Um, SSA Global makes a product called, and I never know how to pronounce this right, I always call it BON but I don't know if it's Bon or Ban or what, but there are some companies that still run that software even though it's a little bit older. Then you have specialty products like the university runs a product called Banner, which is marketed by a company called Ellucian, and it's a higher education ERP system. At a university, our business processes are things like students need to register for classes, and so one of the things that many of you will be doing in the next couple of weeks is registering for your classes next semester. And you'll log into a web portal and you'll have different menu choices and you'll pick your courses and you'll register and you'll do that in a higher education ERP system. The university runs banner that does that functionality. So there's all kinds of specialty niche products as well that are particularly made for particular markets. And that brings us to the end of our discussion on the topic of enterprise systems. Questions, comments, observations, riddles? All right. Well, I want to make sure we stay on track, particularly because I would like us to be able to once the ERP-SIM competition is over, give you some time on Wednesday to use to meet with your team. So I really want to make sure that we uh, redeem all the possible time we, we have before then. And so I would like to jump into this next discussion here that I'm, I'm calling Key ERP Concepts. The things that we are going to talk about in this section now, now we're getting beyond the basics and the foundational things. And now we really want to leverage the fact that you have experience working with ERP-SIM. You now have several weeks of experience built up where you understand things like the kind of information the system keeps track of. You've worked with our data warehouse. You've built visualizations in Tableau. And so let's let's talk about this a little bit more. One of the key things to understand, and this is true in an ERP system, but really this would be true in general for any enterprise information system. There are three different classes or types of data that exist in an enterprise information system. We have organizational data, we have master data, and we have transactional data. And I'm telling you that if you work at an organization that employs an enterprise information system, it's very likely that a lot of your job is going to involve on a daily basis, (coughs) you're working with and manipulating exactly what we are going to talk about here. These are critical things for us to be able to understand the differences between these three things and, and what the significance of that is. So the primary thing we're going to discuss is just what these three things are and why they're important. So thing number one, we'll start with organizational data. Every company is subtly different in some way. Um, Let's use as an example of that universities. Every university on this planet is distinct from every other university. Now there might be things that they have in common But when you really start looking at specifics, you see that there are a lot of differences. For example, the buildings that exist on the ETSU campus are different from the buildings that exist on the Northeast State campus or the University of Tennessee campus. There's different sizes of buildings, there's different numbers of buildings, And that affects, you know, where people go to do their job, where students attend classes, so on and so forth. Every organization, and now we're talking about just beyond buildings, every organization has their own, if you will, if we use the metaphor of a Lego set. And if we had a big old set of Lego blocks and we just dumped them out on the table, and so sitting in front of us is, you know, 150 Legos of different sizes, shapes, and colors. Essentially what organizations do is they reach out and they pick up different blocks and they start putting them together in a different way to create the shape that they want their organization to be. And every organization will create a different Lego structure. But the different Lego blocks in my metaphor represent the different parts of the organization. And so no two companies will structure themselves exactly the same way. And what I'm talking about is things like how many plants do we have? Where are those plants located? How many warehouses do we have? Inside those plants, how many different storage locations are there? When we think about the products that we sell, how many different divisions are there? Here's one that you've seen in the context of ERP-SIM, how many different distribution channels do we have in ERP sim we have distribution channels that are coded number 10 12 and 14 one of those is grocery stores one of those is convenience stores and the third of those is, is hypermarkets well those represent distinct distribution channels so how do we think of of the different ways in which we sell our product if you were to take over ERP sim and decide okay I want to change the way our company operates. You could add another distribution channel, excuse me, which might be, um, I don't know, ice cream stores because you want to start selling your muesli as a topping for ice cream. And so we could add distribution channel sixteen, which would another class of customer that bite buy from us. Sales organizations; those are the part of the organization that's responsible for going out and selling our products. The fact is every one of these things that are listed here and a whole lot more that aren't listed here are essentially lego pieces that companies have and a particular company might have five plants and seven warehouses and in a given plant there might be eight different storage locations all of those are different pieces that they link together in some kind of structure that makes their organization who they are and enables the company to hopefully work effectively that's organizational data. Now what we do with these organizational pieces and what we do with organizational data is we build a hierarchy of how our company works and there's always a single node at the top that we'll talk about and so we wind up putting together something like a tree structure. And so Different entities basically are responsible for other entities, and and we build out a tree structure representing how our organization is put together. Now these different entities that we are, are linking together, we arrange them based on the things that they do, based on their activities, and we also arrange them based on their functions Uh, particularly thinking in terms of their legal responsibilities and so on. The sales organization for our company, these are the people that in legal terms are responsible for setting the terms of sale with our customers. And so what we have here is we have all of these different pieces that have been given to us by the company who we bought their ERP product And so we find out, okay, when I buy the Microsoft ERP product, I get 15 different kinds of Lego pieces. And so I'm going to use this Lego piece for this and this Lego piece for this. And here's the way I'm going to link all of this together. And so that's organizational data. Organizational data is key in establishing lines of authority and information aggregation. Now... Let's take ERP-SIM as an example. I've alluded to this in the memo that I have sent you. There is a master organization that I have called, I think, German Muesli. And all of you and your individual teams, you run companies inside of German Muesli. And so we have company AA, and B and C and so on. All of you are actually brother and sister organizations inside of German Muesli. Now here's the thing, every one of your organizations has a plant. And just to make this simple, the way this works in ERP-SIM, is company A has plant A, and company B has plant B, and so on. But you actually have your company and then you you have your plant. And then every one of your companies has three different distribution channels that you can sell to and you can set prices for and so on and so forth. But one of the key things that's true about the way we have configured the organizational data to support ERP-SIM is that company A gets to tell plant A what to do. But company A cannot tell plant B what to do. Only company B can tell plant B what to do. You know, imagine, for example, if you said, oh, you know, um, we don't have enough capacity to make all the stuff that we want to in our plant, so let's just take over one of our other organization's plants and start having them make stuff for us. You know, the other company probably would not appreciate your doing that. Um, And so the way the system has been set up, you don't have the ability to do that because lines of authority have been structured to define who has authority over what. It also means that information flows related to that. You can look at information related to what your plant does, but you can't look at information about another company's plant. You can't say, you know, we're company C and we're wondering if anybody else is going to make any blueberry muesli so let's just look at what the other plants are up to. You can't do that. If you try to do that in the system you're you're going to be blocked from doing that. That's part of the overall security model that extends from the way the organizational data has, has been put together. So one of the things that companies have to do and this goes back to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago in regards to configuration. Companies have to buy a given enterprise information system from any vendor. And then they have to look at their company and they have to say, okay, we bought Microsoft Dynamics. Microsoft Dynamics comes with these different kinds of organizational entities. Well, how does that match up with what we do in our organization? And what's going to be what? and who has authority over what and we basically have to build this structure in the system that describes how our organization works. Now the key thing here is we have to put this in place really before we can do anything else in the system. Now that might be that over time we have to make changes. Maybe for example we buy another plant. And so we add another plant to be underneath a company and we give them authority over it. Or maybe we decide to close down a plant and so we have to delete a node from our hierarchy that we are building here. But one of the things that has to happen in an organization is we have to look at our company and we have to ask ourselves how do we want things to work? And then we have to map that to the organizational data structure in our overall enterprise information system. Let me give you just a brief example of what I'm talking about here. In SAP ERP, the highest node in our organizational tree is called a client. And so if we're building our tree, the node that sits at the very top is the client. Where have you seen the term client before? In what context? Client server application, we see it there, although this is a different kind of client, but you're right, that's where we see it. Where else have you seen client this semester? You've seen it on a very, very frequent basis, but you probably haven't even thought about it. Where else do we see client show up? I'll give you a hint, think about lab time. Where do we see clients show up during lab time? Client ID, where do you see that? As a part of the login, right? You have to type a client number. Type a client number, you type a username and you type a password. That is because in any given system, we might have multiple different trees representing multiple different organizations. So you log into client number, I think in this class we're using client 800, and every one of your companies exists in client 800. So every one of your organizations are underneath the same tree. Now the next level underneath the client is called the company code. So strictly speaking, if your company code A And that's, and I don't know if this is right or not, but if that's Berlin Muesli, okay? You are your own company, but you exist in the overall client. So a company code is a distinct business. Legally speaking, it is a distinct legal business, and it is the focal point of financial accounting so that's why you can look at your company's balance sheet and your income statement and your statement of cash flows because every company code does its own financial accounting and it has to maintain its full set of accounting records because legally speaking company codes are what pay taxes now you don't have to do that for erp sim which is kind of nice but in the real world, every year your company would have to pay taxes based on your profitability, and every company pays their taxes individually. Every company files their own tax return based on their information. Now, let me give you a real-world example of this, and this is not a picture that is in your your slide set, but we can look at it here. And, and I realize it's kind of hard to make heads or tails out of this, and I will zoom in on a second on a on a. Um, On a subset of this in a moment here but let's look at um, let's do this one right here coca-cola the coca-cola company actually owns a whole bunch of other companies so coca-cola at its highest level of aggregation would be the client and coca-cola owns a lot of what we think of as brand names actually started out as their own independent companies Like Minute Maid is a company that that Coca-Cola bought. Um, Dasani was a company that Coca-Cola bought and and started manufacturing their water products related to. Um, Vitamin Water and Smart Water, those were independent companies that Coca-Cola bought and folded under the the Coca-Cola umbrella. So the equivalent is this would be the client and all of these things down here, some of these are just brand logos, but some of them are companies. They would perhaps be individual company codes in the overall organization. If we zoom in, here's, here's the craft company. Okay? The craft company, let's just say hypothetically, this might be client 600 in a given ERP system. But you work for Toblerone. And so you log in to client 600, and your company code is is T1 because that's what we've designated for Toblerone. And someone else works for Cadbury, so they log into client C or 600, and they log into their company code is is Cad1 for Cadbury. Somebody else works for Jello, so they log in as uh, JLO2 is what we've decided to call that. And you see all of these different things here. Now, I'll uh, I'll tell you that these things change a lot. And so it could well be that Kraft has bought some new companies and spun off some of these companies since this, this graphic was made. And I didn't make this graphic, but somebody clearly put a lot of time into it. And you see here, for example, that Kraft owns Snapple. So, Snapple, separate company, they might be client code uh, SNP7. So, they're all part of the same master organization. They're all part of the same, we would usually call this a conglomerate. But in SAP terminology, it's all part of the same client. But every one of these entities here, if you work for Toblerone, The whole company is focused on making chocolate and chocolate-related products. Toblerone doesn't make gelatin-related products. Jell-O makes gelatin-related products. So these are basically two totally different businesses that may have very little in common with one another except for the fact that Kraft owns both of them. You know, here's a chocolate company, here's a Jell-O company, here's a hot dog company. Oscar Mayer might be company code OM17. Uh, what's another one here here's gum you know so trident might be company code TD 14 so what we have to do as an organization is we have to look at all the things that we own all the pieces that we control and start building a structure now here's what makes this really challenging imagine you know this is just looking at it from a company code perspective Uh, let's pick one of these companies right here Um, you know, there's some products here that I'm sure some of you really, really consume a lot of, which is Clamato. Any of you ever drank a Clamato before? Yeah, you couldn't pay me to drink one, but it's, a, it's clam juice. Okay, so I'm sure really, really, but I don't think we like sell in the vending machines here or anything like that. But um, here's something probably all of you have consumed in your life, Hawaiian Punch. Okay, now that's a company code, so that might be a company code HP4. Hawaiian Punch, you know, the numbers here, I'm just making up random numbers. Now, if you think about it, Hawaiian Punch might have 25 different plants that they make and manufacture Hawaiian Punch in. And they might have distribution centers and storage locations, and clearly they have people that work for them. And Hawaiian Punch, just by itself, is a really complicated company, but it exists within the overall structure of craft. So if you imagine this as a tree, all this is is the top-level node and then one node down. And then underneath every one of these other nodes would still be a very, very complex organization. Well, here's the thing. If you work for Halls, if you're the CEO of Halls, you have the right to know everything there is to know about Halls, but you don't have any right to know about Oscar Mayer. I mean, we're in the same client, we're a part of the same conglomerate, but we're totally separate companies. So organizational data gives us a way of making that happen. Now, these, what's shown in this graphic here and and this right here, are some of the larger conglomerates that are out there. Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, Nestle. You know, PepsiCo is a really interesting one. Under PepsiCo, we have... You know, Pizza Hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Taco Bell. Those are three totally separate companies, but they're all under the umbrella of of PepsiCo. And by the way, do you know why PepsiCo went out and bought these guys right here? Why Why did Pepsi go out and buy KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut?
1: So they would have somebody
0: that sold Pepsi products. Have you ever noticed that? Those restaurants are pretty much like the only fast food restaurants that sell Pepsi products. And so Pepsi, as part of their strategy a number of years ago, started going out and buying restaurant chains so that restaurants would start selling Pepsi products. Because apart from from restaurants that Pepsi owns, pretty much every other restaurant sells Coke products. And so uh, if you ever want to know, you know, does Pepsi own this? Well, if they serve Pepsi products, chances are not, it's not universal, but a lot of the places, especially the chain restaurants that sell Pepsi, they do that because Pepsi owns them. So these conglomerates, Pepsi will buy an ERP system. And by the way, uh, a company like Pepsi would have tens of if not hundreds of millions of dollars, invested in their ERP system. And then they would have people that work for all of these different companies that maintain their company's infrastructure within the scope of Pepsi's ERP system. So the client is that highest level of aggregation. It's, it's PepsiCo, it's Coca-Cola, it's whatever some of the Unilever and some of the other ones that we saw here. But then inside of those clients are these individual company codes. And those are considered in the eyes of the government to be distinct legal entities. And what I mean by that is, is Lay's potato chips pays taxes. And the amount that they have to pay is totally independent of the amount of taxes that Pizza Hut has to pay. But Lay's files tax returns with the U.S. government, Pizza Hut files tax returns. So in the eyes of the law, even though they're part of PepsiCo, they are separate legal entities. And so separate legal entities are called company codes. And that's the way we configure them in our in our organizational structure and so it's really simple how do we decide what's a company code does it pay taxes yes that's a company code and so company codes then have certain things that belong to them like credit control areas what in the world's a credit control area when you sell to companies in erp sim you don't get the money right away have you noticed that we'll talk about the logistics of this in more detail um, when we talk about the selling process but you give customers the ability to pay over time and in fact part of the the uh, configuration of ERP sim is some of your customers I think get 20 days to pay some customers get 30 days to pay it differs based on distribution channel well what that means is you ship out products before you get the money Suppose a company comes to you and says, we've never bought from you before, but we think you make really, really good muesli. Um, we'd like uh, to order $10 million worth of muesli from you, please. Okay? Would you not feel a little nervous about shipping out $10 million of muesli to a company you've never done business with before on credit? Yet how do you know that they're not going to take your $10 million worth of Muesli and, and basically disappear with it? So companies have to make decisions about granting credit to customers. Just like you apply for a credit card and you get a credit line, so too do our customers get a credit line. Well, that would be an example of something that we might have. So the, the uh, Lay's company, sells to grocery chains and convenience stores and gas stations and a wide variety of different places. So when a gas station calls up the Lay's distributor and says, we'd like to start selling your potato chips in our store, Lay's looks at them and says, okay, we'd love to have you start selling our products. We will grant you a credit line of $3,000. Well, what actually happens is in our overall structure, here's our client, here's Lay's potato chips and as a part of their organizational structure they have what is called a credit control area and it's responsible for making decisions about the credit that they are going to grant. Now the decision that Lay's makes is totally independent of the decision that Quaker makes. And so if Quaker calls up, or, or the gas station calls up Quaker and says, we'd like to start selling your instant oatmeal pouches in our gas station, Quaker might say, that'd be great. We'd love to have you do that. We will grant you a credit line of $750 they have the ability to make an independent decision, that decision is going to be made by a credit control area. These are just examples of the kinds of Lego pieces that we have in an ERP system that we can set up. And so there'll be people that work in the company, that work in the credit control area, they make those decisions, they're responsible for that function in our organization. One of the things that you have seen in the context of ERP-SIM is plants. Plants are where materials are produced and or goods or services are are provided. And so the idea here is each of you know from ERP-SIM that you have a plant, but a given company code in reality might have many, many plants. But part of the organizational hierarchy says we can't just start putting Lego pieces any, together any old way we can. And if you've ever played with Legos much, you, you know that. You know that Legos only snap together a certain way. And, you know, it's cheating if you say, well, I want these pieces to hook together this way and they won't. So I'm going to break out the super glue and glue them together this other way. That's not the way you're supposed to play with LEGOs. You're supposed to snap them together the way they're supposed to be snapped together. Well, there are rules associated with how we can put organizational data together. A plant can only belong to one company code, but a company code can have many, many plants. And that goes back to what we said before. If you're in company code C and you have a plant, you don't want company code A saying, hey, make us muesli, don't listen to company code C, you work for us now. Doesn't work that way. We have lines of authority that we establish within our organization. And one reason why we have to keep these lines of authority is because ultimately there are accounting implications that are going to manifest itself with taxes. Company code A runs plant A. That means they pay the salary of everybody that works for plant A. How would you like it then if you're paying someone's salary and they're doing work for another company? You know That doesn't work real well as far as the way we would like to view proper corporate operations. And so these rules give us a consistency in, in dealing with, with information. So everything that we have just been talking about ties back to what we mentioned previously, which was configuration. So what someone who's doing configuration has to do is they can't go in to a company and say, okay, day one, let's start setting your system up. What they have to do is go in day one and say, okay, I need to learn about your company show me all of your corporate governance documents if you have diagrams of your chains of command and your hierarchy I need to see those pictures and probably they need to start talking with heads of departments and people that run factories and ask them about you know what do you do how does your factory operate and they need to start building this model that then they'll take and go to the enterprise information system and they'll start setting up they'll start configuring the system because we want the system to work to support the way we want our business to work. So we have to understand the business map that into the Enterprise Information System, and then the Enterprise Information System will work the way we want it to. Imagine, for example, if ETSU bought Banner, which is the system that's used to run the university, and when they bought Banner, Banner said, okay, these are the 200 computer science courses that will be offered by the Department of Computing. And ETSU had no ability to say, well no those aren't the 200 courses we offer you know we don't offer this one and there's seven more that we do offer and banner came back and said nope the system's set up you have to you know you have to offer these 200 courses because that's the way our system works that that's the way it's set up you buy our software change your classes because you got to do what we tell you to do now it doesn't work that way you buy the system and then you have to go in and you have to set it up to work the way you want it to work Now, the thing to realize about this, this is a great example of a computing-related job that pays really, really good money and isn't a programming job at all. You know, you're not writing computer programs to do this you're going into organizations you're learning about organizations and the way they work and then you're going into the system and you're doing configuration by doing things like drilling down into menus and setting values in certain fields and kind of the same way you might configure a word processing program to uh, behave in a certain way. The graphical user interface is significantly different and the options are much more complex, but you go into the system and you change the way the system works until it matches the way that a company wants to do business. I made this observation before, there are over 8,000 different configuration decision points available. And the setting that you make for decision seven might interact with the decision for decision 13 and 17 cause things to work a certain way. That would be very different if you just change one of those values. One of the things that companies wrestle with is we would like our system to work a certain way. How do we make that happen? And it requires a lot of having to research, having to know the system, to figure out exactly what configuration decision to make. I talked, this has been about three or four years ago, I talked to a professional that worked at the University of Tennessee that worked in configuration. And she said, one of the big challenges that we have is we know we want to make a change, we know it's possible for the system to work this certain way, but we've got to figure out how to make it to do it. And she told me, she said, what I've spent the last two weeks doing is researching and trying to figure out how to do something. And at the end of the two weeks, I ran one transaction, changed two different things, and it started making the system do what we wanted it to do. It took me two weeks to figure that out. I wound up changing one trivial little thing and it's made a significant difference in the way our we operate our organization. That's the kind of work that people that work in configuration does. This is a critical element in establishing information security in the system. Like we were talking about before, we don't want someone in one plant telling another plant what to do. What we can do as well is, is we build a hierarchy that represents the different entities that compose our organization. And then when we drill into one of these entities, we essentially could have a, a hierarchical structure of employees. And so this employee might be you know, the plant manager, and then here's a supervisor, and then here's people that work here. And so we could say, for example, okay, this particular piece of functionality is available to everyone at this level of the organization and down, but only for this particular branch of the tree. And so this becomes not only the way we structure the system to get our business processes to work the way we want it to, it's key in establishing the security model and it's key in establishing how information is transmitted. Information about this entity right here populates up the tree so that whatever this is, it knows about what happened down here and whatever this is, it knows about what happened down here. But that information is distinct You know, the brother or sister in the tree can't see it. One of the things that I can do, because I log into our ERP SIM system at a higher level authority, I essentially log in at the client system, I have a transaction I can run that shows me all of your income statements divided by company code. So when you run transaction F.01, you look at your income statement for just your company but I have the ability to look at the income statement for all of the companies because I'm operating at a higher level of authority in the overall hierarchical tree. Questions about any of this?